I think he's a total spoofer. He's a bullshitter. You sometimes have extra time in football matches in order to slot home the winner. Hello, hello, hello guys. Welcome to another episode of Extra Time with the Dugout, our new series in which we focus on women in sport, both here in Trinity and outside of college. I'm here with um, the original squad, actually. <laughs> Charlie's here. Hey, guys. And Laura Besson's here. Hello, it's a woman. <laughs> We're in the dugout, sorry, the SU offices um, today. This should, Can we just... Colonised this uh, Yeah, it's, it's basically dugout property <laughs> at this point. I, I've always liked the idea of having a dugout office. It's the dug office. We need a water, like, there's no water cooler. <laughs> there's no drinks cabinet. It, I, I'm using madman logic here. It's I, very feminine, but I mean, it, it could get there, you know? We could, yeah, we could lob this it, place it, up. It, This is going to become <laughs> the most gender neutral space there will be. You, you need all the posters from like Match and Shoot magazine, yes. all those fixture comics. Some wrestling ones. Some wrestling ones. Um, there's, there's some Western people I have hidden somewhere, but there's plenty of sports. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Sports That'll positions. do it in a pinch. That'll <laughs> do it in a pinch. Some Arsenal FC, some Chelsea FC. And then um, no, loads, loads and loads of medals. Oh, I mean, I, those oh, are my room. I, I yeah. can do that. That's the one thing I can do. They're always hanging from <laughs> one of the life fixtures. Always. And uh, Get some race walking up there. There'll be some community games medals in there for sure. <laughs> race walking up the lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, today's guest is Rachel Housdens, uh, Ireland and DCU Mercy basketballer. She's been at DCU Mercy since she was 15. Uh, she's played a whole range of sports at incredible success. She was on the underage Meath County team in football. She's won medals for her swimming, but obviously basketball is where she has achieved the most. Um, she's on DC Mercy, as I say, and she's represented Ireland at many underage levels, under 15, under 16, under 18, and under 20. She was part of that team that won last year, that won bronze against Great Britain, mm, what yeah. Um, in the under twenty European Basketball Championships Division B, which shall, which saw them get promoted to Division A for this year, um, but you know beating Britain is fun in itself. But when it actually earns you something, you know that's a bonus. Um, and she's second year here in Trinity studying medicine, so she's got a lot on her plate. So we talk a lot about that, um, how she gets that balance, whether she thinks people are more successful if they have that kind of hectic life where they're doing stuff constantly and a whole lot of other things including her generation and our generation and how we look at sport and young girls and stuff like that we'll be back after after we play the interview to talk about some of the things and some of the points that she's raised but for now uh, this is Rachel Housen on Extra Time with the Dugout Alright guys, I'm here with DCU and Ireland Basketball, I suppose legend at this stage, Rachel Housens. Thanks Cameron, thanks for having me. <laughs> no trouble, uh, welcome to the show. So, for those who aren't initiated, you are a power forward, so we're thinking Dennis Rob- Rodman, <laughs> Charles I, I don't know if I'd compare myself to them, no, but yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely a forward, so I'm one of the taller players on the team. Mm. It's usually more around the basket and rebounds, kind of those sort of things, setting screens. Um, I wouldn't call myself a power forward. I think my teammates would probably laugh at the word power. I'm <laughs> probably more the running one of the team, but yeah, no, that's, that's the position that uh, I'd be yeah, having. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's cool. Um, so you'd be on the the taller end of like the average height for a definitely at six three six three so yeah. i'm yeah i'm actually six four on my team there's probably our team's actually quite tall this year i'd say we have about six or seven girls over six foot but oh, i would okay. be the tallest so the next is six three and then we have a few girls that are six one but yeah i definitely be on the taller side of things very <laughs> cool um yeah. and it takes you're getting all the rebounds you're under the net in defence yeah. and you're do you are you a huge contributor in terms of the scoring um, it kind of depends like obviously when I was younger when you're underage you're playing with people that are maybe your age or only one or two years older so um, I would have been a 
like a scorer on my teams then because obviously like I said if I'm one of the taller people on the team sometimes you're playing against opponents that aren't as tall so it makes mm. that a little bit easier I'm um, obviously now on the Super League team it's a senior team and the, the younger players I'd still be considered a younger player were kind of coming up through the ranks so I feel like this this season I've probably been scoring more than I usually have the last few seasons but still it, it would vary between games some games they could get 10 points sometimes you could get four and then on the odd occasion you might get 16 or 17 it just kind of depends who your opponents are and what kind of style of play they have if it suits you or not so yeah naturally okay we'll pause today we'll go all the way back to <laughs> The early days. Yeah. So, like so many elite athletes, you played a lot of different sports when you were younger, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I really, I loved sports. I Initially, I started off swimming and Irish dancing and badminton, and it was probably around, in primary school, around third, fourth class. Um, Kelvin Troy came to our school to do a camp for PE, and it was kind of then that I really started to enjoy basketball, so I joined just the local team, uh, Dunshockland Rockets. And I'd also then started up with Royal Gales, which is the local Gaelic team. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously when you're that age, you're not really that busy with school and after school studies and stuff like sure. that. So you've a lot of time on your hands. So I kind of had them all going at the same time for a good few years. Um, and it was only really until it got to the stage where, you know, with the development squad for the Irish team, and I had also been playing county with um, for Gaelic, that like you just can't balance everything all the time so things started dropping like swimming went out the window then Irish dancing went next and then it was kind of Gaelic and basketball were on par for a good while together and it was just it was hard to make the decisions of which ones you'd have to go to training and which matches you could make um but I wouldn't change it either like I still love all the sports like I'd love to go down and just have a you know for badminton even go down to the hall once in a while and just have like a I don't know a rally with my brother or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. you do miss it but you know at this stage you can't be doing everything you just your body can't hack it anymore yeah but even outside of sport you were learning piano oh yeah so <laughs> I started piano in first class actually so I kept that up all the way until TY right. um, so I think I went to about grade six I finished grade six and it was only then really just with everything else and starting the leave insert like well going into the leave insert cycle and stuff mm. um, I was just kind of getting stressed out about piano because I didn't have time to practice and then I felt bad about not having practice yeah yeah so um, like I'd still sit down the piano sometimes and have a bit of a play but yeah it's, it's a bit rusty <laughs> but you're also doing medicine too so it's a very intense course so between everything you seem like someone who likes to keep busy you don't like to have too much free time on your hands as well uh yeah no definitely like i don't think you realize how much sport means to you until you have a lull in the season or the season's over and you've nowhere to go so i definitely like to stay busy um like this year now i've i i'm not playing gaelic this year and i have had to make decisions about not going to trainings on certain days just because like i have a test coming up or i Mm. feel like i have a lot i need to do and like if i didn't if I went to the trainings, then I'd be behind on work. So you just kind of have to balance everything out. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, even there's days where really it's dark outside, it's cold, and you just want to stay in and watch Netflix or of something, course, yeah. and you have to go to training. But when you, once you get to training, you really enjoy it because with the basketball team, because because there's only 12 players on a team, everybody knows each other so well, and you're all best friends, so you really do enjoy the training once you're there. It's just having to make yourself go initially. Sometimes when you're tired, is a bit tough, but... Overall, yeah, no, I like to stay busy. I can't imagine not going anyway, so. What was it about basketball that really appealed to you, that made you think, okay, of all the ones, I'm going to keep this one up? With the basketball? Um, I have to say, it's a few things. First off, like, basketball's a very fast-paced sport, Mm. and what I like about it as well is everything can change within, like, a couple of seconds, within a minute. A team could be up 10 points, and within 20 seconds, they're down 10 points. You know, it's, yeah. it can change so quickly. So it just has that, that fast tempo that I just really enjoy. And then, like I said as well, with the team, there's only five people on a court at a time. So I find that you really, really get to know your teammates really well, and you kind of form a bond very quickly, and getting used to everyone's different style of play or who's good at what, different things like that. Yeah. And I think as well with the um, Irish team and with GCU playing underage I think really it was because we all got on so well that made me just enjoy it that bit that bit more but I still I love Gaelic as well but um, just because I have to choose between the two <laughs> 
I had to go for basketball, but I, I'm definitely going to go back to Gaelic, like, no doubt about that, but I just have to wait and see <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when um, that can fit in. So you mentioned Kelvin Troy earlier, he's obviously yeah. an NBA legend. Yes, um, he is. Who else at Dunshock and Rockets? Was there anyone that really influenced you? Um, I'm trying to think now. I think, so Kelvin Troy came to our, our camp initially, uh, or to our school initially, and then one of my friends, um, Kelly, her dad was big into basketball, and he was actually coaching our, uh, like the, the club team, or the Chaplin Rockets. And I was kind of through her that we kind of all decided to start basketball together. Yeah. I hadn't really known anybody in the NBA or anything like that that I had been watching because yeah, we didn't yeah. have any of those channels on TV, so I didn't get to see any of, of the games. Um, but that, yeah, and then on Chocolate Rockets, like my mom coached me for a while, and then my under, we'd under 12 coaches, um, Brendan, Michelle, and then Pierce as well. And then obviously now with, um, with DC and Mercy, I had Joan Black. I had her for the first three years when I was playing there underage, and she was a superb coach. And that kind of, you know, once you ha- when you have good coaches, like it means you enjoy it a lot. Sure. So I had her, and now I'm with Mark Ingle and Damien. There's loads of people. Everyone literally that I've had. So I've never had any like issues. I've loved all my coaches, and I think once you have that kind of, um, when you have great coaching like that, it just makes you want to keep going and keep, keep going. playing. Yeah. Exactly. So you joined DCU Mercy from Dunshockham yeah. at age 15. Yeah. Obviously not on the senior team. You weren't. No, no. <laughs> tiny 15-year-old. <laughs> no way. Um, did they come looking for you or did you decide if you were going to have a good whack at this, you'd need to look outside of Dunshockham? So what actually happened was I had been playing with our, um, what would you call it, our, our, our regional team, yeah. like the Northeast team, and we had had a, um, a tournament, and from there I had gone on to the under-15 Irish team, and at this stage I was still playing with Dunshockham Rockets, and it was only after I had made the first two cuts from on that development squad, so I think we were around 18 players now, which it still had to go down to 12. Um, and at the start of the next season, when we were all under-16s, um, we weren't actually sure whether it was, there was going to be a North East League anymore for my age group. Right. So there, that was kind of, you know, there was questions whether that would be going ahead. So I didn't even know if I was going to have a basketball season at home. And then on top of that, the league we were playing in, like, we weren't part of, let's say, the National Cup, which is a huge basketball um like uh competition you know the dublin league there's you're playing against very big teams like liffey celtics or Colester, yeah. different things like that and um so i think at that age it was just um i was still young enough for development and things like that and if i wanted to move i still wanted to play underage and get to know people at an underage underage level and a lot of my friends from the irish team would have been on these other teams mm. who i never would have played against before so it was actually my mom's colleague in work um has pat he had a daughter playing with DC Mercy, and throughout the years they'd obviously been chatting about basketball and because both their daughters played basketball yeah, sure. and I think my mom had mentioned that maybe you know I, we were looking at possibility to move into a team in Dublin and he was just saying like if I wanted to come over to one of their trainings one of the days just to see what the team was like yeah and so I ended up actually going and I just really enjoyed it that was Joan Black's team and I was <clears throat> under 16 but I played on their under 18 team then um, just because his daughter was on that team so right. it was just kind of that was the link into DC Mercy yeah um, but yeah so then obviously at that stage I didn't want to move because all my best friends were on my Dunshockland Rockets team and everyone from school was on that team I, mm. I felt like I was being bad moving away but um, once I moved over there and got to know the girls on the team you know I just really enjoyed it so I was happy I moved then so yeah um, not to discredit shock and rockets but you'd imagine there'd be a culture in dc mercy closer to professional than shock and rockets was that hard to adjust to or is that even true was there oh no like shock and rockets was all the way for as long as i played with them it was very competitive okay. we had a lot of trainings we trained i'm not trying i can't really remember how many times we trained but we were very competitive and like the teams we played against as well were very competitive and um, like my mom coached me a while for that my mom coached me for a while, sorry, but then also um, my friend's dad, who was big into basketball himself. So I think with regards to coaching, like Dunshockman was great with that. It was just yeah. the fact that moving to Dublin meant that you could kind of opened up a bigger community. Yeah. Whereas with Dunshockman, mm. it was just the Northeast, whereas in Dublin, you were playing against teams in Cork and you're playing against teams mm. in Galway, Mayo. So it just opened all that up. But with regards to like actual basketball um the experience that i had with trainings and stuff like that no definitely 
I enjoyed them both the same and yeah very same cool. level yeah so you've been a part of quite a few Ireland underage sides yeah 15 you mentioned 16s 18s 20 yeah. all the way up um in those sides do players come from mainly Dublin and the bigger urban areas or are they from all over the country um I've actually found with our team we've always had quite a good um like people are coming from a lot of different areas like there's obviously a few players from Dublin Cork we've had girls from Mayo from Belfast from Carlow from uh Port Leash or well Leash or Kildare actually as well so I feel like we've had a good um distribution of like the where everyone's from yeah. i know other maybe other years there could be a lot of people from dublin it just kind of depends on every year that comes up through it sure um but it's, it's always nice again like i said then when you're playing at club level and then you get to meet everybody but you're playing against them yeah <laughs> whereas yeah. at the weekend you could have been training together so um no but we've had a great uh, spread all over the country on our teams so yeah very good uh and your generation seems to be you know Oh, breaking the barriers for oh. Irish sides, you know. Um, under 18, you were silver medalists at the 2017 um, yeah. European yeah. Championships, which meant you were promoted to Division A for the following year. Last year at the under 20s, you beat Great Britain. Very satisfying anyway, but you <laughs> did it to win bronze and get promotion to Division A. Yeah. You've uh, set a high bar for the following years. Do you think you guys are one in a million? Oh. Or is there the same quality player coming through? Oh, there's definitely a lot of players coming up through the ranks. Um, I think we were just lucky with the sense that our team, um, that when we started out in under-15s, we had a very good um, development stage. Uh, everyone got to know each other very well. I think it's very important that you gel as a team <clears throat> in, in your success. And everyone was also very, very dedicated um, to like training outside of just our normal training hours, going down to the hall, just trying to get do that little bit extra to hopefully go that bit further. Yeah. Uh, like with our under eighteen squad, we trained a lot, and especially mm. during that summer, like we had camps in I don't even know Tremor in Tralee, like everywhere we went, everywhere, and we were in. I can't even remember now Croatia Lithuania for a lot of friendlies and practice games and I think for something like that it's all about preparation you yeah. know obviously you want to have you, you want to have good players and we have a lot of great Irish underage players and um, but it's about the preparation and how much preparation you have going into a tournament like this because tournaments go over about 10 days and you know you, you might have eight games within those 10 days and then you've training every day as well so it's a lot you know, if you're not getting along with your team or if people are very tired, you know, you're not going to perform to the best of your abilities. So I think when if you're very prepared and you've practiced, you know, um, your pre-game, what you do pre-game, post-game, you yeah. know, if you know everyone so well that uh, you get along and there's no issues in the camp, then I think that's a huge part of how well you do and that's a huge aspect. So um, obviously we're also very lucky with the amount of girls that we had and we sure. kind of stayed as a group our under 60 team a lot of those girls were under 18 and again a lot of the girls were on the under 20s team so we did have maybe five years of playing together so mm. obviously that um, experience of playing together also helped because yeah. we knew each other so well um, but definitely there's a lot of underage like Irish girls and Irish boys sorry both um, coming up now that definitely are like amazing have great potential but it's, I just think it's all down to the preparation so yeah and those camps um, to your knowledge were they there before you got there that kind of structure or was this a sort of thing where oh my god these guys are brilliant we're going to go all out for them I, oh. I, that that might be a difficult one to uh, no, we we have a uh, like usually I, as I can remember there would be um set camps they'd maybe have two set camps in the summer where literally every underage international team would go to the exact same area so we'd go right. to Limerick let's say for three or four days and everyone would play and that was kind of nice to get to see the other teams as well mm. you didn't just feel like you were on your own um, but no every team it's organised by the team itself but every team does have just training camps so you'd have maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday and then over the summer months you can obviously have them during the week as well because yeah. you don't have school but every team has those as well um, and it's just down to who can get games organised you know away in different countries It's all, and sure. friendlies are a huge bonus um, to be able to get that international uh, experience against different teams and their style of play but yeah um, and again uh, another difficult question but <laughs> do you or any of the others do you 
Olympic aspirations? Not maybe immediately, but maybe <laughs> further down the line. Are we getting to that stage in Irish um, basketball? I, I wouldn't know. Obviously, you say, never say never. Yeah. Um, but I think everyone, well, the girls that are on my under 20 team, I know we're all very focused on college and yeah, even sure. with their club teams and things like that. And now we're no longer underage. The next step is senior level. So we're quite young to be playing on a senior level at the moment. I know there's a few girls that are on the senior team at the moment. Um, but, you know, like uh, if everyone keeps working hard and if that's the goal and goal, I definitely think that we have the talent there. The girls are amazing that if that's what, something that they wanted to do um, and they worked at it, then, you know, you never know. <laughs> mm. um, so going back to your school days, mm-hmm. um, in your year at school, how many girls would have participated actively in like sports or PE class? Um, I'd have to say sports-wise, um, a lot of my friend group were very sporty and played both basketball and Gaelic. Um, we had a full basketball team in school anyway, so that would have been 12, 13 players. And then we had a full Gaelic team as well. Now, the Gaelic team in school, the older girls, once we hit about 60, a few of us dropped out. But that was more to do with just missing school and classes. It was just the school team, whereas they were yeah. still playing club. Um, but I'm not so sure about now. I feel like... I think just people get busy with different things and I, I'm not sure about the ratio of how many girls are still playing that they, who used to be playing because like that people are going away on Erasmus. Yeah. Different things like that just happen that you just can't keep up Gaelic or maybe you could try something else. But you know, like it just means it's not as easy to do. Um, I'd say there probably is a bit of a drop in how many girls still play and at what kind of level they play at. But I know with my, uh, I'm no longer playing at Royal Gales, but I know there's a huge amount of girls that are playing, still playing club Gaelic, which is yeah. great to see. Like there's huge numbers. And I know that even in Meath as well, um, like teams are having second senior teams, third senior team, not senior teams, but older teams, just so that everyone can get game time. So yeah. that's really nice to see that everyone's still interested in that. Um. You mentioned just work commitments and school commitments and going away on Erasmus. Are there any other reasons you can think of for why girls might just drop it at some stage and never quite return? Um, Well, I always find it hard to say myself because I'm into sport. Um, I do know, obviously, people have different things with just image Mm. and things like that too. Um, Or also, like with trainings, like I said, with the commitment that's there, you know, you could be training four times uh midweek or three times midweek and like if you want to be going and meeting up with your friends or doing something social that's very hard to do when you have you're committed to a team so i feel like that could also play a role in it um because really there are there are sacrifices involved in playing sports and it just kind of depends about where you're at yourself and what your mentality is if you're willing to do that or if you prefer just to you know um do kind of more I don't know go to the cinemas or different things like that which obviously I sometimes I'm like oh it'd be nice to actually be able to go to that person's party (laughs) and then you just can't do it or you arrive late and you're sweaty and you you know um but apart from that I don't really I wouldn't really know unless just someone's not enjoying it themselves or Mm. you know especially things like if you're not getting game time and things like that can all kind of have an impact on whether you want to stay with the sport or not so uh what um what influence or how big an influence would social media have on um girls participating in or um having an attitude towards sport i know that that's a lot to unpack yeah do you think there is definitely some sort of link between that even if you don't know why there is um i'm trying to think i'm not huge in social media myself Mm. um obviously like that girls there's always an issue with just body image different things like that and mm. um, you know you always hear of oh does she look maybe a bit too strong or you know different yeah yeah black and all. Muscular. Yeah, yeah or something like that and obviously that can have an impact on someone's self-esteem different things like that i wouldn't i wouldn't have a huge amount to say in it yeah um but of course social media has such an impact on everything we do nowadays that of course it's going to have an impact on if people are still staying playing sports or not mm. so yeah. <laughs> Do you think, um, I mean, there was that really frightening statistic, was it last year or the year before, um, of young Irish girls being the third biggest binge drinkers in the world, and people thought that had something to do with their mental health, or a lot to do with mental health and the problems this country has with 
dealing with uh, mental health and the services. Do you think sport is a really good method of, you know, helping people tackling that? Tackle yeah, I wasn't health. aware of that statistic yeah. myself. Um, but definitely, for sure, like I said, if you have something that you're committed to and you have to go on these evenings and you feel like, uh, you know, you have a loyalty to your team to be at the peak of your own fitness or to take things seriously, obviously then, you know, you might have less time to... <clears throat> less time on your hands to like you know go out and like you were saying if you're binge drinking I'm not sure you know yeah. that could just be a once off or you know a, a night out but it kind of um I suppose from my perspective and I I want to know what you think on this it gives people a sort of worth oh for sure value. like I know so many people the problem is they don't feel worthy oh no they don't have a value in this like in what they do and th- being a part of a team is a huge no it, definitely it really helps like cross that bridge. sport first off even just exercise everybody knows has such benefits to your mental health in terms mm. of just like dopamine and all these different things just sure. even just chemically but to do with even just as a team sport there's highs and there's lows you, you lose games and sure. then you win games and obviously that goes up and down but you do it as a team and you always feel like you have that support network there like i would know if i ever like let's say all the girls in my Irish team you know you'd still be in contact with them we meet up and I know if anything ever happened that I felt like I needed to talk to somebody I can always rely on them because you've been through so much together like that the highs and the lows you've experienced that all together that there's just that bond kind of forms that no matter what like even if I don't see someone because the girls are living in Cork or Mayo like I said we're all over the country yeah. even if I don't see someone for four months you just you meet them uh, for a catch up like it doesn't feel like you haven't seen them for that length of time you know you just know somebody that well so I definitely think I most of my best friends a lot of my good friends are all through sport you know yeah um, and they're not even on my team as it is now but I think that's why sport is such a big thing it's just like that the connections the support system and just basically like friendships and different things like that so obviously it's extremely important yeah um is basketball the term minority sport is sometimes thrown around in the grand yeah. scheme of things yeah. i know a lot of people play it but in this country would you also agree and say um, it is well, I think obviously in comparison to let's say the GAA is yeah. huge. Every town, every village has a GAA team for both boys and girls, and you can't say the same for basketball. But I do think it's definitely getting bigger. Yeah. Um. I know, like with the twenty twenty campaign, I know Basketball Ireland are doing a lot of uh, campaigns or things with primary schools to try and get it out there. Because when I was in primary school, we had a Gaelic team. We didn't actually have a Camogie team. We had a Gaelic team. I think there was a soccer team, but there was no mention of basketball apart from that one camp that we had for PE let's say yeah um but I definitely think it's it's getting bigger it's getting a lot more um coverage mm. um so I definitely think it's it's on the way to getting bigger but in comparison to let's say rugby or the GAA or even soccer I'm not too sure where it would lie with soccer it's obviously not um to the same scale like coverage wise and people participating but it's getting a lot bigger so hopefully that just keeps going and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there there are obvious drawbacks to being less lesser known than yeah. other sports. Do you see any benefits in being something of a sleeper hit? Um, I don't. In terms of motivation, that it's like um, we really have to. So, yeah, that's very true, and um, I think one benefit of it actually is that the basketball community, because it's that little bit smaller you nearly feel like you know a lot of people in it yeah you know you nearly know every team you know play all the players names you know you know where what they're up to if they're going to america or different things like that and i think that everyone is invested in each other's like teams and if people are going away even everyone just keeps up to date what's happening even if they've never played with them before or even met them before so i think the fact that it's such a close-knit community actually is very it's very nice because you know, everyone, not not everybody knows everyone, but I mean, there's always that link there. Everyone's heard of your team or how you got on or different things like that. So that could definitely be a benefit since it's quite a close-knit community because it's a bit smaller um, that you just feel like it is an actual community. So, yeah, it's nice. Um, what is your support? What is the support like <coughs> in your games? Um, so, well, 
if I was to talk about the under 18 Irish team, so our Europeans was in Dublin sure. in 2017. And to say that we were surprised at how many people came would be an understatement because I don't think we've ever experienced, even in National Cup finals at underage level, that level of support. And I don't think we we're expecting it, especially not even at the group stages. Um, we were playing in the um, National Sports Centre, I'm not quite sure, uh, in Abbottstown anyway, there was a new sports centre, so that was sure. where our group games were, and the stands were literally full, it was sold out, oh. just for our group games, and then when we got to quarterfinals, to semifinals, to finals, we were seeing that even like on the website, you know, that they were sold out, and there's something so, um, like when you go out to play for your country, and to see that amount of support there, and people were travelling from Cork obviously because girls were from Cork as well so there were connections but just to see that many people come together just to support your team and like that we were just an underage girls team yeah you know playing obviously we're in Dublin that hadn't happened before we hadn't had a home Europeans before um, but just to receive that amount of support it definitely I think just gave us that extra boost to want to do that bit more just mm-hmm. to not let people not to let people down but I mean just to show that you know we could do this and I think that definitely played a huge role in the fact that we got through to the finals um, like I even remember in the semi-finals we were down by about 12 points in the first quarter and it wasn't looking very good and I think it was just the crowd that kept us in it and made us push that bit further and we actually came away then winning the semi-finals so like definitely support level there was amazing yeah um, I I was at the National Cup finals a couple of weeks ago yeah. in Tala yeah. and the atmosphere as you say was brilliant there yeah. was a real excitement buzz, in the crowd yeah. real buzz everyone was very engaged to see they were very tuned into what was going on yeah it, it was a fun day out do you think newcomers or casual fans who might not have thought of going to the national cup finals yeah will immediately catch the bug as they go in because it's so fast-paced as you say it yeah changes with the I, wind i i think they would um like i even know some of my friends wouldn't be big in ba- into the basketball like who have come to games and just come away you know just Love, having loved watching the whole game um, like that like even the Tala in the, the arena in Tala it's it's quite a well, it's not a small arena but it, when it's filled out it's really packed and it, like you said a great atmosphere and the court's right in the centre and because like that when it's a really good game as well if it's a close game that's right down to the wire I don't think even if you're not even if you're not a supporter of either team if it's not one of your own teams yeah. like still you can feel your heart thumping you're like oh yeah. my god what's gonna happen so I definitely think even if people haven't played basketball before they just decide to come and just see what it's like I definitely think you'd catch the bug just from going to some of those games if, if, it, if it's a very good game as well if it's a good game and it's tight um then definitely I'd say people would come away thinking, okay, I might go to watch go watch another one or you know, yeah, yeah. go to another game. Um so this series is all about um women in sport. Yeah. Um when we interview guests we want to get their appraisal of the landscape as they see it. Yeah. So firstly, what do you make of the term women's sport? Is there is it a problematic term? Um personally for me I don't have an issue with it necessarily, just because at least the terms being used and people are looking at women in sport. Yeah. You know, like um, I know for us in basketball, we have the men's super league and we have the women's super league. It's not yeah. the super league and women's super league. Like they're not, you know, we're the, we're both equal. Um, but women's sport, yeah, no, I don't have a huge problem with that term at all. Um, I'm just happy that you know it's getting. A little bit more recognition that there are women in sport and it is a big thing and it should be getting recognized and different things like that that's a very interesting point about the men's and women's super league because it seems from an outsider's perspective because they're both they're both lesser known yeah that they're kind of on an equal footing would that be an, like a fair thing to say um i definitely feel like well uh, from basketball ireland's point of view we both get the same amount of coverage with regards mm. to you know live streams or what's going up on twitter or on the website different things like that i definitely feel like i personally feel like we're we're given the same amount of um what's the word coverage uh within games and same amount of hype is given for both games which i think is great um I think, like I said, that's probably something to do with the fact that it is quite a, a small, cl- small knit community that everyone just, you know, everyone gets the same amount of coverage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Evani Quillen was our first guest a yeah. couple of weeks ago. 
So she talked about looking outside the box and focusing on what she called Olympic sports, minority sports, yeah. as a great opportunity for female athletes to capture the public's imagination yeah. with this 20 by 20 thing in mind. Yeah. Is basketball the perfect kind of battleground, the perfect example of such a sport? Definitely. Well, yeah. I definitely think it would be like if you even think about the hockey team that was there. I know hockey is big in certain areas, but um, with the hockey team in the World Cup, yeah, like everyone just once they realised this team, oh my god, they're doing amazing. There, every people were watching games that I'd, I'd never actually seen a hockey game before, and I was watching it on TV then because I just kind of jumped onto the bandwagon. And I think it's things like that that are important to, um, you know, that people get uh, recognised for you know getting to certain places and certain you know doing well but teams shouldn't just be recognized for doing well but i mean that's a great way to put women's sport no matter what the sport is in put it in the spotlight yeah. and then people will be now thinking about oh what's that irish pop, like women's team doing now oh they've qualified for the olympics or yes. different things yeah, like that yeah, like yeah. you you then stay in touch with that team even if it's not in a big competition so i think like basketball like that definitely could be a sport um that could be, like you said, the battleground for, <laughs> um, yeah, just for more um, coverage. I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself. No, of course. <laughs> um, but she also mentioned that the onus isn't just on the media either, that no. you guys have to achieve enough, enough success to merit them giving you more coverage. It, it makes no sense if you guys aren't doing anything. Um, you are familiar with, say, let's bring it to a very local example, you're familiar with Trinity Sport and the yeah. stuff they're doing. Do you yeah. think they're doing enough to ensure that you guys can reach that level of success? In um, terms of the structures, resources, that kind of stuff. So with Trinity Sports, I'm not uh, hugely aware of everything that's going on there. Um, I just play with the, like you said, the varsities team. Um, but a lot of the time, those different teams, they're... Uh, they're clubs that are run by students themselves. Sure. Um, so I don't know with regards to who, uh, like with regards to putting teams out there and making them more known if it's down to players, is it down to people running the club, you know, yeah. in that who, who's, whose responsibility is that um, to do those kind of things. Um, but yeah, so which I'm, not qu- I'm not quite sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's all right. Um, do you think... Uh, it's getting a lot of media attention uh, basketball yeah um, in Ireland at the moment uh, loads of Gaelic players Kieran Donoghue yeah big part of the Killarney team yeah um, Aidan O'Shea is playing in Sligo uh, there's a there's a lot yeah. of interest in this do you think over. with all this stuff now does it has a really bright future here in Ireland basketball? I definitely think so yeah. um, I think people are again very interested especially from a young age like I said basketball Ireland are already trying to get the primary schools um, involved in basketball and I think if you hit it and you target younger children obviously then you have them getting older and it just brings it all up yeah um, but no definitely like even like you said there with the Gaelic players I know sometimes even I think the Dublin team maybe had a few sessions with like a basketball coach because a lot of sports overlap and the skills overlap and so that's why I think Jules like one of the girls in my under 20 team actually she plays county with Mayo and those the just the different skills overlap and just improve her game so much more yeah. um, so I definitely think I think basketball has a great future ahead of it um, so hopefully it just gets bigger and better yeah <laughs> and then yourself um, I know it's early days but <laughs> have you given much thought to how you're going to be able to juggle a medical career um, with <laughs> basketball? I don't know how it's going to go. I yeah. think it's, I'm just going to take every year as it comes because sure. even every year in college is so different that I don't even know what my schedule is going to be like in a year's time, what we're up to. But I really hope that I get to keep keep up with the basketball and keep playing it with DC Mercy because I just love it. Like I said, um, it's just a great sport to play. Um but like yeah I really don't know <laughs> what's going to happen in the future and where I'll end up being even so um, but yeah no definitely think I'll be keeping up the basketball for a good while too and hopefully I'll get the Gaelic as well get back playing Gaelic <laughs> well that's a nice note to end it on Rachel yeah, Asmus exactly. thank you so much for joining us on Extra Time <laughs> thank today. you for having me Kenny <laughs> it's been a pleasure yeah, thank you that was Rachel Housens talking to me a few days ago um, so guys interesting chat um, 
a lot of points raised. Uh, we talked about PE and participation for girls in sport. She seems to be what um, the statistics would tell you is in a rare case in that a lot of her mates in school, girls in particular, kept up sport right the way through until it just they had to pick and they had to decide, oh, leaving search, give it up. I suppose I wanted to get your thoughts on that. In schools, do you remember if there was a huge drop-off at some point? Physical education in this country is horrendous. <laughs> so th- there is, I, I don't like, you know, giving in to gender stereotypes, but I think in PE, we do very easily fall into our stereotypes. So sure. I went to an all-girls school and we do have that kind of, it's ingrained in our culture that there are gendered schools in this country and no matter how much we move towards it, those will always be there and those will always be an issue. Mm. Um, so I think that like for us, even if you compared us directly to the boys' school that was just down the road from us, so they would all play sports, they'd be happy to kick a ball about, they'd say to their principal or that their principal, their PE teacher, I want to play this or whatever. Was then with us, it was this case of you're being forced to play something you really don't want to play. Yeah. Our showers didn't work. So no matter how sweaty you got, you couldn't, you know, there was just so many elements to it that it was like, we don't want to do this. And then you're just at that really awkward stage where you're like, I'm a teenage girl. I'm just, everything is awkward about my body and me. And I just don't want to have to get changed. And now I have to do sport and this is just awful. So like there were people picking what they wanted to do outside of PE, but PE was like, it's so tough the, the issues that women just face predominantly in sport at that time in their lives is just a bad time oh yeah I mean you you even had showers we didn't even have showers yeah we, we had showers but all we could do was get changed <laughs> in them because they didn't work like it's just I think PE in general is just so badly organised and the standard for becoming a PE teacher is so low and they don't some like some you could get lucky and you have a great PE teacher and they put in effort and they want to include everyone yeah. but others don't give a crap at all no. And even the smallest of effort can go the longest yeah, way. Yeah. And like, even I'd say that in mixed schools, it's even harder because I'd say there is that pressure to feel like, well, if I, you know, don't go along with whatever people of my gender are doing, then what's happening here? So like, they need to be able to discipline, but also to instill inspiration within mm. their students. And they're not doing that. I found it interesting when I was in school, just thinking about this today, that there was a drop off around junior cert, yeah. transition year. That's kind of peak time for people to just mm-hmm. give up and say, ah, oh, I can't be dealing with this, I can't be doing circuits every week. And it kind of maintained throughout. And then as we got into leaving cert and as we got into the business end of that year, a lot of people started coming back because P became a sort of escape. Granted, a lot of the people that came back were people who would have played sport anyway, but they would have given up a lot of what they were doing yeah. because of their studies. So P became this kind of form of escape, this world where you could throw all your books away you could go out and you could play something socially with your friends i remember the last few months of leaving sir around february we started playing ultimate frisbee and we continued that even outside of pe into lunch every day we played ultimate frisbee right up until the very last day of exams when we did applied maths on that horrible day and Thursday when everyone had gone to see sessions and stuff but it was kind of an escape girls that wouldn't usually play sport were coming out playing with us because there was this ah it doesn't always have to be like our teacher running the legs off us I think a big issue in our school was just that the the choice of activity in PE very much um, decided what students were turning up for PE that week Mm. yeah so like if if our teacher said yeah we're going to be doing touch rugby this week you could be guaranteed and we'd have like all of the lads there mm. and a lot of the girls would be like, I don't, I'm not interested. And another yeah. week mm-hmm. she'd be saying, we're going to do, like we did yoga some weeks mm. and then none of the lads yeah. would show up. So it's like, it's hard, probably a hard balancing yeah. act as well and trying to get something for everyone that everyone wants to do. Yeah, and I think particularly with the team sports and the kind of picking of things, I know mm. like it isn't as much of an issue in lads' schools, but I know in girls' schools, like a lot of people did, just didn't want to go to PE because they knew they wouldn't get picked mm. and they knew yeah. that kind of like, that, and it, it is there, it's... It's not nice that it's there, but there is an element of kind of bitchiness within yeah. girls' schools, and it's it's up to the schools themselves to do, see deal with those issues. But they're just not doing it, so it's constantly an issue there, even in sport itself. Yeah, that's fair. I think your point about the varying degree of PE teacher is very interesting because it's like any subject. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't mm-hmm. do English had I not have had a really good English teacher. Whereas yeah. I'm no, I've no interest in doing Irish because mm-hmm. our Irish teacher was poor, <laughs> but. I think that's true. Our PE teacher was very enthusiastic. And, you know, when people started dropping out, he wasn't really that 
bothered mm. because he'd seen it all before. He was going to focus on the kids that kept, um, turning, up. kept turning up. And funnily enough, the people who initially rejected it came back after a while because they could see, oh, P isn't just us doing meaningless corporal punishment. It's um, it's an escape. It's a way of getting out and a different way of education. Mm. And I think you have to promote that side to P, mm. that it is an escape. It is this yeah, alternative they, activity. They really need to get rid of all this, like, because we had, I remember especially in the junior start years, there were so many, like, fitness tests and mm. all this crap that no one wants to do and yeah. it just puts people off PE. Yeah. Like, just stick to the fun things. And as well, like, as I said, like, obviously, th- this is an issue that affects anyone regardless of your gender, but I think that it is very much uh, a thing that predominantly affects girls just because of the way the media frames everything. This is the time where you are hyper-analyzing your body. So if yeah. you're not able to perform to the same level as other people yeah. in fitness tasks, you then constantly scrutinize yourself. You could have, like... The- thinnest body but you could then feel like just because you're not reaching these targets that you're not as good as everyone else yeah so it, it does feed into that whole kind of like kind of body image and the pressure that you put on yourself and i think that as we said it's all down to the educator themselves they need to be able to know where to balance it and exactly. where where to go with the the group that they have regardless of who they are what the gender is where their age is you need to be able to balance up that it's also down to the education system to ensure that mm-hmm. that is how PE is viewed as this fun activity that isn't totally grueling I mean the talk of bringing it in as a subject at leaving cert I feel is very dangerous because it limits it even further to the kids who will only be really really good at sport as in I think it could be both I think because say even religion in our school you always had to do it mm. you, right up until leaving cert so even then that wasn't about doing it for your exam that was about doing it and figuring out you know, sexuality and friendships and relationships useless but you know if it worked well it would have been good to have so there's no harm in having PE and then having PE is the subject for okay, people yeah. to be able to do it because I think there's a lot of people who would like to have had the opportunity to do it and go on to do a course and particularly if people are looking to study abroad so yeah. if you're looking to do physio you're looking to actually become a PE teacher it could be really handy to have that degree but I think that it needs to be separated out as casual PE and curriculum based PE mm. yeah that's fair um, the other point that we raised in the talk <coughs> was about mental health and the benefits of sport for mental health. I wanted to get your opinions initially before we go into it deeper. What, how do you think sport could help the mental health of young people? I mean, it comes back into what you were saying about how in sixth year, so many people came back to sport. Yeah. It's when, like, when, I found the same. Like, when you're in that sort of really pressurised situation, nothing gives you as much of like a boost mm. as just two hours of just running or whatever it is you do um and it does it does help so much like you, you kind of whenever i like used to hear about it like they talk about it on the news or whatever it is and you think oh yeah right then you do it and it's like yeah i feel great after this yeah you know yes like a, even like the smallest amount even if it's for like 10 minutes and anything. you do it every day then it's better than not having done anything yeah. at all so like it is like you're in a really weird time when you're in secondary school and people talk about it properly enough anyways but like that time from first year to leaving cert is so intense. Like you can go through anything in that space of time. So even if it is just going for a walk, like say if you are so down that you feel like you can't exercise, but you're like, if you just did a walk and you prove to yourself you can do a walk. Sure. You've already got the, like there's so many great physical and mental benefits that come from just doing the tiniest bit of exercise. But by doing that, then you prove to yourself, that well, if I can do the walk, I can do the 10 minutes of study, I can go into school today, you know? Yeah. There's just so many knock on effects of that as well. Which ones do you think are better, the training you do on your own or team sports for that kind of mental health boost? Um, I think either. Mm. I, like I've done yeah. both in when I was a, when I was in secondary school. Like I played football, I played ga, and that's always great fun. But I also just went to the gym or just went for a run. I mean, you also get a very good feeling from that. Mm. I feel like I felt more. You felt more of an achievement at the end of it if you're doing it by yourself. Yeah. And I think like your personality and who you are comes into it. So you could be really introverted. Yeah. So going to play a team sport could be hell for you, or you could have yeah. really bad anxiety. Um, you know, you might have mental illnesses on top of this that you you mightn't be as aware of. Particularly when you're in those teenage years, it's kind of hard to know what works best for you. So like seeing what you get the most enjoyment from, and even fun things like you were saying ultimate frisbee. Yeah. Is sometimes there's almost a connotation that if it's not serious and you can't compete and it's not structured, then you're not doing sport. But that's sure. amazing. Like mm. I remember I did cricket in the second year in Trinidad, and I was like. 
oh, I'm a big Brit. But then I was like, you know what, I'm having a great time. This is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And there's loads of different stuff that I've always, I've done that I've not been the fastest or the best or whatever, but you feel like you're having so much fun, even swimming. Swimming is the best one I find because you can look awful. You can do, swim as badly as you want. No one's going to know it's you because you've got a yeah. swimming cap and goggles on. You can get overtaken by the seven, seven-year-old kids. It has happened. I've had elderly men pass me out yeah. down in that Trinity swimming pool. And I've said to her, look, I'm not trained for the Olympics, but you might be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, personally, I think team sports are better in terms of that way of looking at sport because of the way team sports are structured. So if you're in a position, let's say, I'll take you, Charlie, and say you're on the football team and you're played at centre-half. Oh, I'm starting. Uh, you're, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you're, you're number three. You're a big, like, per-murder soccer type. Yes. You are given a set role. You're given a set work. Your work's cut out for you. You're told, just do these jobs. You don't have to be creative. Just do that. I think in terms of giving someone value, because a lot of mental health is around, I'm not good enough. Mm. I'm, I don't have value. Mm. And if you can do that, do those roles and do that job really, really well as part of a team and as one of the cogs in this sort of machine, I think that is, you know, the benefits are endless there, surely. That's true. Um, I don't know. I feel like when you do, like, when you do challenge yourself, like in, in your team sport, you're challenged by your team, challenged mm-hmm. by your coach, challenged by the other team. Yeah. If you're, when you're doing something by yourself, you're challenging yourself and there's something very rewarding about that. Mm, you're, you're, in a way, you're almost talking to your demons and saying, no, I'm going to beat you if you yeah. want to look yeah. at it in that sense. So say you do your quickest time or whatever, no one else is going to have done as well as you because exactly. you're the only one who went for the 5K you've, today. You've Whereas everyone else came out onto the football pitch. Whereas it's nice to have that sense of camaraderie. I think possibly the best type of team is those social clubs. Yes, You know, they just course. do it. But there's no pressure there and it's really good because, as you said, you have that set role. But say if you didn't do as well as you'd want to, and the team has a lot of pressure on because there's a, a cup that they're trying to you know win in the end that can get very it just kind of like blurred lines into in terms of oh do I really love this oh I feel like I've let people down whereas if you're just doing it by yourself or if it's just for the social benefit you're going to immediately feel better afterwards there was a statistic brought out last year which was very worrying I mentioned it in the chat mm-hmm. but I have it to hand now so Lancet did a study last year who are they sorry uh, they're just a kind of statistics group doing oh, health fun. research oh, yeah, very fun, uh, very fun. <laughs> your plans it but they revealed that Irish teenage girls rank third in the global table of the worst binge drinkers behind Denmark and Finland and overall Irish teenagers are quite bad for binge drinking as we probably are aware of before we get into the serious aspect of what you just said Denmark and Finland yeah that is unexpected mm. that is very unexpected very high drinkers really? yeah Scandinavian wow. countries like as in great socially but at times yeah yeah so a lot crazy. of mm, yeah listen to there's an episode of Second Captains where they talk about but I suppose if you even think things. about like the French start drinking early so it would cause binge drinking earlier yeah yeah I don't know I feel like drinking early this is a whole different thing, but like, yeah. like started like because generally when you drink early, it's because you're drinking in an environment where you're with your parents, you're with your family. Yeah, and, of course. And I feel like that prevents binge drinking. Mm. No, um, that's true. I don't. In some really cultures, it depends on what the socials. Yeah, I guess. Following on from that, are. Anyway. Well, but anyway, that that was pretty alarming um, statistic for a girls' mental health, and it was something that the people Sarah Colgan at 20 by 20 picked up on and said oh god that that is like we had no idea the problem was that bad so do you think when we're promoting women's sport or women in sport um i'm so trying so hard not to say women's sport anymore (laughs) uh do you think we need to push that mental health angle more so because of the what's going on with our teenage girls time yeah. so right the, the very first thing that needs to happen when there's a woman being presented in sport in the media is there needs to be someone who is a woman working on that project as well and saying yeah. is this a sexist interpretation is this interpretation that will then lead for other women to interpret themselves and compare themselves to this individual are we looking at them as a physical object to be consumed or are we looking at them as a sports person yeah. that's the very first thing that has to be done and I think that it's really easy to see where this link in like drinking and girls comes from because 
I mean, you've got all these articles and, you know, now, now they can't escape it. Like, we are the lucky generation. We were the very last people to kind of get out of there unscathed with the phone. And by the time we reach senior cycle, yes, mm. but these girls are being handed a phone age 10 or 11 and that's it. Yeah, that's the, 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 they yeah. compare themselves to their peers they compare themselves to people on Instagram, Twitter Snapchat, whatever and their parents are giving them phones so they have this from the very word go and of course then drinking is going to become this way of oh you know I'm able to to just deal with this I can I can forget how this makes me feel I can forget how I compare myself to others but you've also got to look at the flip side of that as well is like yeah you have people drinking really young but sport actually keeps you out of drink for longer yeah I, I argue that depends on the sport Oh, I yeah, think yeah. GAA is really, really bad for encouraging binge drinking. Well, there's mm. the culture within there. Yeah, because you see, you see a team, and I know, obviously, when you do mm. well, you want to celebrate. Yeah. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But you see a team do well, and then for the next seven nights, literally mm. seven nights, they go out every single night and consume such stupid amounts of alcohol. Yeah. No, I, even just from where I've come from, I'd say that, like, it was definitely worse with the lads than it was with the girls. Oh, I would like, say I, so. I yeah, like, there yeah, is yeah, a yeah. difference in the group. Now, I won't say that they don't drink, because they do... But yeah. it is to a much lesser extent, I think. It's, it's really bad. Like, it's shocking. Like, my local team, they won, they were in the All-Ireland final recently. And in between winning the Leinster and the All-Ireland, like, there was a lot of nights out. Mm. Like, and it was all encouraged by the, by the club. Okay. That, that's what I don't understand. Yeah, that's... that's it's the club is encouraging this. And there's the culture. I mean, Laura and I know, being from the west yeah. of Ireland, it's, west. you know, that times ten. Yeah. It, there's such an emphasis on, okay, we play... We work hard, we play hard, we yeah. go out on the tear. And I think that is going to be a really big challenge for 20 by 20 mm-hmm. and for women in sport and the governance is getting, first off, taking the drink out of sport, but also taking the drink out of the hands of teenage girls. And if there's already a culture mm-hmm. there, particularly in the way sports depends on advertisement from alcoholic, mm-hmm. from alcohol companies such as Guinness and Heineken, you know, that is going to be a huge obstacle for them, I think, yeah, in the next year. Because, years. say, like, men's sport, or just, like, sport, if that's how we're going to call it, um, it already has this really problematic relationship with drink, so we mm. need to, like, remove that. And I think it's really interesting that you have this kind of, like, it, the, the whole drinking thing starts younger, and I suppose there's, like, multiple different things that you could incorporate into that. So do you then go out to younger clubs and this could be something that is implicated on a national level but it could be about body awareness and body image positivity it could be about mental health awareness and it could be relying just as much to women as it is to men because obviously and i mean most male mental health campaigns revolve around sports in this country anyways so what's the harm in rolling out a bit younger and gender neutral yeah. then you also have the possibility of if there's a lot of people drinking then i'm sure we should be talking about consent because people you know as much as we like to think about you know sex starts at the legal age of 17 people are doing it much oh, younger yeah, and drink sport yeah. it's very much a breeding ground for really you know precarious difficult situations and yeah. the more that we can eradicate those the less mental health problems we'll have the less issues we'll have within sport and also then it means we have a whole group of leaders coming up in this country because sport you know infiltrates almost every area of life as we saw with the woman interviewed like <laughs> how much has she possibly done yeah. like and she's studying medicine she's gonna be a doctor but if all these people come up and are you know able to like you know talk about the issues that they're having within their relationships or within sex or the issues that they're having with their mental health it means that then we have this huge demographic that are really capable of speaking about their emotions mm. do we need for women in sport a, a richie sadlier type who comes out and talks about the dangers of drinking alcohol when you're playing football is some kind of horror story before we do that or is there a way of preventing that stitch and chime stays nine kind of stuff I, I think that like people don't need to be afraid young people are a lot smarter than we give them credit for if they're talked to on a one-on-one level and i think if more sports stars were able to come out and say like what they learned from their own experiences exactly. and gave young people the language to talk about what they wanted to be able to talk about and how they wanted to be able to tackle the problems of their own lives they'd totally be able to i don't think it's a case of Oh, you need to fear this, and this is bad, and yeah, go play, go, yeah, go kick the yeah, ball, yeah. and that's all you should do. Like, I think people can, you know, really surprise us. I think the whole stuff, like which he's had there in his story, I think that all that the importance of us, that stuff is overstated. Because, okay, in, in, like I don't know if this is, <laughs> but like in reality, him him talking about that, like, it's it's not going to affect an average guy no. playing football. Drinking too much. Yeah, is it? Like, a, she's not going to care. There's the element of an echo chamber there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we need this stuff already. We totally agree. Like, 10, 30 year olds going in 
to a football club where they used to play and actually chatting to lads or like girls or whoever it is and saying, yeah, you know what, I used to do way too much of whatever and I didn't get the college course I wanted because of it. I did loads of really great stuff, but I didn't get that done. That resonates with someone because they go, you know what, I do sit in my arse and I don't do my homework, but I like playing football. So now I need to play my football and do my homework and make some time for me at the same time so I can sit in my arse. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good place to leave it for this episode. Cool. So many thanks to Rachel Hasman for coming on with us. And thank you so much for listening to this edition of Extra Time with the Dugout. We're on TFM Tuesdays at 7. Myself and Charlie will be back again. The podcast will be up tomorrow um, of this week's show. And if you want, if you like what you hear so far, you can listen to either our podcast from the shows that we've done on TFM or listen to... The talk we had with Ivani Quillen a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. What a um, queen. Great reaction to that. So thank you so much for all your love. Uh, but for now, I'm going to say thanks to the guys for coming on today. Thank you, thank you. for having us. And we will talk to you later, guys. Goodbye.